0: namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato
1: arahato
0: sammasambuddhassa homage to the blessed noble and perfectly enlightened one Amen.
1: Adantwa
0: Yi, the
2: unsurpassed, deep, profound, subtle, wonderful Dharma, in a hundred thousand million eons, is difficult to encounter. Now that I've come to receive and hold it within my sight and hearing, I vow to fathom to thus come one's true and actual meaning. Amito Master, Dharma friends, good evening, welcome to our sutra lecture. It is March 12th. We are uh, in Berkeley, California, we're going to uh, look into the Avatamsaka Sutra, and uh, Kevin, you'll pardon me, it looks to me like that camera's on a slant. Does that matter? There you go. There you go. Ah, there you go. I don't want to, maybe I could compensate, how's that? Is that better? That's good. Right. Now it's Okay, good, all right. I should mind my own business. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the Sutra Lecture. We're uh, on, on the text in front of you. We need to turn to the front cover of the text. And you need a copy if you don't have one. And we will recite the, together the name of the Avatamsaka Sutra and also the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas of the Avatamsaka Assembly. And we do that in Chinese, and you can read it from the front of your Sutra text.
0: Love, no
2: Now you need to turn to page 18 and 19 in your sutra text Shabash Ye Last page the last paragraph that is down at the bottom start by reciting the Chinese first. And there's two ways to do that. You can either follow the, the kanji, the hanzi, look at the Chinese characters if you can. Or you can read along with the, the romanization, the ABCD, the spells, the sound that that character represents. And if that is a piece of cake for you, then I'm going to give you one more challenge, which is to look at the tone marks. You'll notice that uh, Every one of those ABC romanized sounds has a tone mark on top, and the tone either looks like this it's either straight across, or it goes up, or it goes down, or it starts at the top, goes like that. So it's ah, 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 ah. That's the four tones of Mandarin, and important to get those tones right. But if uh, this is the first time for you to even look at these or consider that you might be able to read them, don't worry about those tone marks. Just get the, uh, get the sounds in your ear. That's, that's already kind of nice to realize that these uh, particular sounds have been around in our human consciousness for minimum, minimum 5,000 years in these forms. And they're still going strong. Chinese is one of those languages that has not changed uh, for the last five millennium. English, on the other hand, is relatively speaking, is brand new and it's very dynamic. English is changing all the time. We're adding words, losing words, uh, getting new spellings, putting new words together. Chinese has uh, been in this form, by and large, for five millennium. And of course, the earlier forms for much longer than that. So. We're looking at an old language, and it it influenced the languages of Japan, Korea, Vietnam, and they say if you travel 50 miles in any direction, you have a different accent. In China too, so. Uh, but these characters and the rough pronunciations of these characters have been around all that time. So when we read them here in Berkeley, California, uh, here 2011, it's, it's a little bit like. Uh, Opening a door to a to a, uh, a wonderful living museum of sounds and thoughts that they represent. So, um, if none of that interests you, then look at those characters and realize that they those are ideograms, ideograms. They're pictures that carry ideas, and they're uh, it's a whole different way of looking at uh, at written language. Right? We have our ABCs, we have our alphabet, and those 26 letters do a lot of work. They have to carry all the the different meanings, but Chinese has got a whole other component to it, which is it can appeal to your right brain. These are actually, not all of them, mind you. When you dig into it, you discover it's kind of disappointing. About 15% are actual pure ideograms. The other 85 pretty much carry sound. They're phonetic mostly. But that 15% is uh, pretty powerful and they have been communicating not just to the left side the side that goes A, B, C, D, E, F, G but also to the, the right brain which is able to find spatial and symbolic meaning too so it's a very, very interesting way of communication so with that as the beginning let's take a look we're on the third line from the bottom it starts with xie jian zui that's where we're going to start so you go to the very bottom. The last character on the page is 曲. Should be third tone, right? 曲, 缠曲. 对不对啊? That's the third tone. And then we go up two more to so 邪见. All right? Here we go. 邪见之罪. <laughs> 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 Fail. Try right again. I'll give you the line, you give it back, all right? 邪见之罪邪见之罪亦令众生亦令众生朵三恶道若三恶道若生人中若生人中得二种果报得二种果报医者生邪见家 Arze, Arze, xin chan qi. Qi xin chan okay, over to the right. The offense of deviant views, of deviant views also, causes also causes living beings to fall into the three evil paths. The evil path. if, they people, if they are born among people, they have two kinds of retribution. Kinds of retribution One They will be born in a family holding deviant views. Two, their minds will be flattering and crooked. Okay. First thing I'm going to do is change deviant. I don't have my pen on me. Um, the first, the third word, fourth word, the offense of deviant views. We're going to change that. That's an early translation, back from the days when our translators just took it right from the dictionary. If they saw the word "she," the first word in Matthew's Chinese English dictionary was "deviant," so they grabbed it. And "Deviant" became "she" became "deviant" every time. "Deviant," right? No matter what. Well, in English, "deviant" has the meaning of Shia, but it's got another meaning that makes it um, it makes it not acceptable for what the meaning of Shia here is. Deviant in English when we hear it we say deviant meaning pervert right, it has sexual connotations deviant here has kind of a sex offender or deviant meaning um um somebody who's probably spent time in a psychiatric ward or something, deviant has those at aspects to it in English heavily. So if you say that somebody is, is a deviant, sexual deviant, social deviant, it has a whole bunch of weight over here. The word xie doesn't mean that, only. It has that, can have that meaning. A better translation of the word xie is wrong. Wrong. It means crooked. Chie has the meaning of not straight and stable. It's crooked. It's off-center. Now, it can also mean somebody who is uh, perverted, but that's maybe 20% versus the other 80%, which means just wrong, incorrect. So the translation of deviant, and then on the second um, the next to last line, born in a family holding deviant views, it appears twice, and that's going to mislead us. So I'm going to do the English different and say the offensive wrong views, or even you could say crooked views, or incorrect, incorrect. Now, what does that mean? Let's, for the folks who are here for the first time, let me put this all in context, all right? This is a Buddhist sutra to say words the Buddha spoke what you're looking at, what you're holding in your hands is a record of the Buddha's own words. He didn't actually speak it. He was he used somebody else. He used a bodhisattva, another speaker, to say the words, but they were coming from the Buddha. So, maybe you have never had a Buddha Sutra in your hands or sitting in front of you. You never read one. This might be the first time tonight you've done that. And many people wonder, what did the Buddha say? Is it like the Bible? Did the Buddha talk like Charlton Heston in the movies? Every time he speaks, there's thunder and lightning, you know? The voice of God has got to be real, very deep, very masculine, you know? Well, I certainly thought that for a long time. Now, um, I have a different view. So that's the the sound of it. But the content is also, I think, a lot of people figure, wow, something the Buddha said must be pretty deep, pretty profound. Certainly it is. But I think we're not prepared for how human it is. This sutra, particularly this chapter, the Buddha speaks with a human voice, kind-hearted. He's kind. Probably the closest thing we have To the way the Buddha is speaking, here is a coach. I don't know if any of you have ever had a sports coach, maybe a life coach. We have life coaches now, somebody who you hire to tell you how to do things. The voice of the Buddha in this sutra is always on your side, He always wants us to succeed. And in a big way, I mean, a real, serious way, he wants us to succeed in overcoming the thing that he overcame, which is suffering and pain. The real stuff, not just what you take a Tylenol for, but the stuff when your life crashes. When your life breaks. That was the Buddha's project. That's when the Buddha wanted us to succeed in dealing with that kind of pain, that kind of serious stuff. So, he speaks very kindly. He's a coach. He says, come on. I know you can do it. Try your best. Come at it again. So you failed. What else are you going to do? Try it again. You'll do it next time. That's the kind of sound of these sutras. The Buddha is explaining things so that when, it, when times get tough, we can respond wisely, skillfully, and make things work out. So <clears throat> that's, that's my new understanding of what these texts are about. And I think the English should reflect that. The the text, we're trying really hard to make the Buddha's language not the, the theological word is ex-cathedra. We're trying to get the Buddha out of the cathedral, right? Not from on high with a pronouncement sounding very distant and far away and somehow the kind of words you hear in church, but never the rest of the week. Not that. We want the Buddha to sound like your best advice from your own mind? What would that be? Your conscience. Conscience goes, not a good idea, right? You have a choice and you think, well, I could actually withdraw my savings and go to Las Vegas because I feel lucky, right? And the voice inside says, not a good idea. That's the Buddha's voice, right? I could withdraw my savings and send half of it to Japan. The Buddha says, that's a good idea. No, you won't regret it. Says the that kind of voice, not something that comes out of leather bindings on Bible paper. Right? So, a very human voice. That's what we find here. So, we have been looking at something called the Ten Evil Deeds. And again, the Buddha has been giving these evil deeds to us, not like this, not with a pointing finger saying, that's evil, or worse, you're evil. Never does he say that. He says, if you decide that you are on a spiritual path, if the inside parts of your life are as important or more important than the outside parts, in other words, doing the right thing is better than doing the smart thing, that is to say, the thing that will get you through safely, if you have to cut corners, you won't get fired, even though you have to turn your head at the cheating and the lying. That would be the smart thing. The Buddha says, nah, you're cheating yourself. If doing the right thing is more important than doing the smart thing, you're on the spiritual path. The Buddha is there to help us. And these ten evils are telling us how to avoid the In the road. How to get around the corner without sliding off into the valley below. Okay, so that's what these are. They're good advice. Ten goods and the ten evils are guidelines from somebody who's already made it to the top of the mountain and wants to make sure we get there too if we decide we're on that road. Okay, that's the idea. So, we've come through nine of them. And because, like I say, the this is practical advice for living. This is how to live. From somebody who knows how, he talks about very practical things. The body, the mouth, and the mind. Body, mouth, and mind. Those are the things that the Buddha is concerned with. And there are... Ten things that he says are evil, meaning will mess us up, will stop our progress. And he gives us ten ways to uh, do it right, but the section that we're in right now is what happens if we go ahead and do those ten evil things anyway. He gives us practical, concrete results, cause and effect. Plant this cause, get this effect. Okay? Okay. We've been through three with the body, four with the mouth, and two with the mind. We talked about greed and its effect. Last week we talked about anger and its effect. And tonight we're talking about not stupidity, which is usually the way we translate 吃, 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 吃. Tonight it's a variant of that, which is jin, wrong views ways the mind can think, ways my mind can think that don't match principle, that aren't the way it is. It's seeing things the way they aren't and really believing it. Believing that things are the way you see them, even when somebody says, you know, that's not going to work. The Buddha says, if you persist in that, what happens? <laughs> the offense of wrong views, crooked views, will also take you out of the human realm, he says, This can happen if you really, really hold on to those ideas strongly. If you also have some blessings, and you come back as a human being, in a human body, two things will happen. Your quality of life will still be colored by the wrong views that you hang on to persistently. Two things will happen to the quality of your life. One is jia. You will find people who agree with you with the wrong views. What is a jia? It's a household that also believes incorrectly. holds on to views that are wrong. Two, your mind will be chan is it's flattering. That's the word radical. The last word on the last, next to last line on the right hand side, chan. It's got a word radical and then it's got um, a, that's a pestle on the bottom and that's a hook. So it's, it's scratching the pestle. It's crooked. It's Flattering is like using words for their effect, not for their truth. You flatter somebody to get a favor, to ingratiate, to make them like you. Doesn't matter if it's true. That will happen. And two, qi. qi means just like this, not straight. qi is crooked, like that, as opposed to straight and solid. So your mind will be flattering and crooked. Sounds like a recipe for frustration. So if I hang on to wrong views, I'll come back, but my mind will seek its own kind. I'll be together with people who agree with me that things that aren't true are true. Furthermore, my mind won't be able to find the proper because it'll be permanently tilted. It will be like what? It will be like a camera that has a big thumbprint on it. You ever take your camera out and you get these super good photos, you're really happy with the sunsets and... You're there with your family, and you got pictures of Grandpa, and Grandpa doesn't visit you very often, and you're really happy, and you develop them, and or you, we don't develop them anymore, do we? We download them, put them in the computer, and sure enough, they're all fuzzy. Every one of them is out of focus because you look at your lens. Oh, look, my lens had Vaseline on it, or lipstick, or it got in my purse. It ran into the lip balm, right? It ran into the Vaseline lip balm, sunscreen. I spilled sunscreen on my lens, and it's every shot is blurry. That's what it's like when you have this retribution. And at some point you say, Boy, I really would like to get it straight this time and stop screwing up every time. But there's something, your mind itself is the problem. Kan chi, crooked and flattering. That's the retribution. All right, now I want to say it's not the case that the Buddha wants this to happen. The Buddha is saying, if you plant the seeds of wrong views, the result is you can't get away from them. It's hard to find what's true. Because the people around you will reinforce the wrong views because they all agree that it's wrong. Furthermore, the problem is not with the environment. The problem is with your own mind. It's crooked. All right. Let us turn to page 11. Everybody turn to page 12. 10, 10 and 11. 10, 11. Look at the bottom. This was des- describing the Bodhisattva. It says, The bodhisattva is free from deviant from crooked views. The bodhisattva dwells in correct straight paths. He doesn't practice astrology or divination. He doesn't grasp at evil precepts. His mind's views are straight and upright. He doesn't deceive. He doesn't flatter. Towards the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, he brings forth decisive faith. Okay, what? why look back at this? Because this defines what are xie jian, according to the Buddha. He dwells in proper paths. True, he stays in the right path. Bu xing zhan bu. He doesn't Practice. Khan is not necessarily astrology, it's it's fortune telling. Fortune telling. Always the same. Divination. He's not hoping for Lady Luck to show up this time. Jason? Yeah. You weren't here two weeks ago, were you? Oh, mm. Now, another way to say that is, boy, what a popular question. Good. Jason. Okay, let me talk about divination first, okay? Hang on to your question, we'll get right to it. That's uh, the fact that you're the second person to ask that in two weeks indicates that that's an important question. And I'll d- definitely talk to it. Okay. It says bu xing zhan bu. All right. Here's, this is uh, not entirely black and white. There is a sutra called gan cha shi pusa cha shi So, this word, shan, appears in the title of a sutra. And old master Meng Tan was around here with his little dreddles, his little spinning things, and taught everybody to spin. Well, there's a sutra. The Buddha talked about that too. Um, Teachers I know, Buddhist monks and nuns, also uh have consulted fortune tellers on occasion it's part of our collective knowledge that people want to know things that our eyes and ears won't tell us sitting right here i'm if my field of vision is how big it's that big. At this point I can't even see my own hands, right? How pathetic, right? I can hear on all sides. I heard that even though it's behind my head, okay? I can't see my own hands past this point. So there's my field of vision right there, but I can't see through the wall. Furthermore, I don't know what I'm going to eat for lunch tomorrow. I have a pretty good idea because I know who makes the offering and they make delicious food. That's pretty good. It's going to be vegetarian, I know that. But I don't know what I'm going to eat. I don't know whether I'm going to arrive at Gold Sage Monastery tomorrow, but I'm going to start out at the right time. We'll see if I get there. In other words, my six senses are very limited. I don't know the future. I remember things back to about age five. But if you ask me last life... I believe I had one. I don't see it. There are people who are impatient with the limited senses. They want to know. Where do you go if you want to know? If you grew up in Toledo, Ohio, the only fortune tellers available in Toledo, Ohio were Gypsy fortune tellers. Toledo was actually on the gypsy route. There were the Rom people would go through Toledo on the outskirts of town. But could you find somebody who'd tell you your fortune? Was it actually gonna tell you accurately about things you don't know, you don't see, you don't think? Not for sure. Where else could you go? There were again, usually Downtown, usually on the second floor of some building in the small parts of town, something has said fortune teller. Maybe you would see palmistry or tarot. And if you came from Toledo, you pronounced it tarot. Tarot cards, T-A-R-O-T. And what else? Palm, cards. You, some people, usually old ladies, read tea leaves. Somebody's grandmother would read tea leaves. But that was it. There wasn't much. And there would be the the nonsense horoscope in the newspaper, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. There are people who believed in the horoscope in the newspaper. So, pretty general advice. So, that was pretty much it. There wasn't much available. Um, I discovered as I studied Chinese culture that fortune telling in China had a very, very, very long history. It included finding rubbing the bones of the head, phrenology, kan looking at the physiognomy, and what else? Lots and lots of ways of doing astrology. That were based on the planets, that were based on the purple lotus system, that were based on the Tian Gan Every child has his or her bazi recorded, the eight characters, and pibazi is really. Then there's the the Book of Changes, Zhou Yi, one one Jing gua right? The hexagrams of the the Book of Changes, and every community had a whole variety of ways of. Knowing about things that their six senses couldn't tell. Um, feng Shui, for example, is a way of talking about the quality of life based on the five elements. And it's a very uh, long lived and um, detailed, subtle, in the West you call it pseudoscience, not quite true science. And yet, and yet, many Chinese who I know, on one hand, will say, hm, feng shui, what's hai bu shang xin nega? Okay, uh, this is the wrong day for you to plan your marriage. You have to, if you get married, you've got to make sure that you get the right day, you know. Feng shui, Bu shang xin, right? However, if you want to open a business, you can't put that there. The door has to be to the left, you know. They completely believe in it. No, 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 no. They totally do, right? Because why? You don't, don't want to cause trouble. Why not? See and cord with things. So, so we have this very funny. And when I say Chinese, I mean Vietnamese and Chinese and Japanese and Korean. Right? <laughs> Mostly all everybody. Okay. Now, uh, so in other words, we have this very complicated relationship with the unknown. So, the Bodhisattva dwells in proper past. He does not practice Chan Bull. What is this talking about? This means that the Bodhisattva does not hang out a a sign that says divination, astrology, tarot, palmistry, fortune-telling, psychic, and then charge you for it when you come in. The Bodhisattva does not do feng shui. Does not can feng shui. And he doesn't even call it dili to make it sound more proper. right? He doesn't do it. All right. Now, does that mean the Bodhisattva doesn't even think about it or believe it? No. You know, there's, this is part of life. I came... So, that's back on... We were looking at page 10 and page 11. If we go forward to page 18 and 19. It says, suppose you do that a lot. Suppose you really, really look into and run your life according to divination, depending upon things that your six senses can't see or know. Normal six senses. What happens is, if you are constantly using that information to make your decisions, what will happen is you'll be drawn to people like that. And in the future, you'll be surrounded by people who are like that. Now, why would the Buddha point that out as something to avoid? Why is that considered xie jian? It's because, let me talk about astrology, because that's the one I know best. When I got to Gold Mountain Monastery in 1973, I was a professional astrologer. I was doing exactly what the sutra says bodhisattvas don't do. And Western astrology is considered pseudoscience not true science. In the West, it's, got a, it's been around as long as civilization, the Phoenicians, back, 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 uh, looked at the planets and found correspondence among people. They said, as above, so below. You can understand the pattern up there, you'll see patterns here. That was the way they, they understood it. Been around for a very long time. And it's based on mathematics. It's based on precise movements of the planets. Very precise. If you've heard of sidereal clocks, s i d e r e a l, sidereal clocks, star clocks. Right now, if you go online and ask for official time. The time divisions are now... Denver is the place where the U.S. government clock is kept. And it's based on crystal quartz. Quartz crystal, that is. Crystals now, when they're split with lasers, offer the most precise... Divisions of time. I don't know how they do it. I haven't studied it. Before they started shining crystals through, shining lasers through crystals, star time was the most precise because it was precise. That was the most precise time. So, that's to say, the observations that astronomers and astrologers made were the most precise. It wasn't careless. However, the reason why fortune-telling is considered xie jian is because it comes from consciousness. Consciousness is very limited because it's based on what? Language and thought. You have to learn it. Buddha Dharma, on the other hand, is based on observations that go beyond language and thought. Experiences that are based on principles that exist before you think about them or can describe them. That's the difference. In other words, deeper. Okay. Here's my experience, and I haven't Jason. I haven't forgotten your question. We're still working on that first part, the John Bull part. And why does this bring you into a xie jian jia, a, a household, a, an environment, people who also have crooked views? Okay, I arrived at Gold Mountain Monastery being a professional astrologer. I had my advertisement. I had my little ad in the the in Berkeley Gazette and the Berkeley Barb and on bulletin boards. I'm I'm old, right? If you remember the Berkeley Barb, you know how old I am. Um, and people would call me up and say, I would like to know, can I have a horoscope done? And I would say, Yes, I'll be happy to do a horoscope. Give me your birth date, place, and time. And we have to get all three and then I would open my tables of ephemeris. To ephemerize. I had ephemeris, table of houses, table of... Oh, and by the way, I'll tell you tonight, now, before I forget, that at 2 a.m., we lose an hour. Don't forget. If I don't tell you now, by the end of the lecture, I'm going to forget. So, set your clocks ahead, an hour to sleep earlier. All right. So, I would get out all my tables and start and the calculations are very very precise and I would do the math. I actually learned how to do the math and for somebody who's not a mathematician, that was quite an accomplishment. And then I would get my calculations and this is before computers and slide rules and com- and calculators. I did it by long division. And I would take the chart wheel and okay, Sun is here, Moon is here, Mercury is here, Venus is here, Mars is here, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, North and South Nodes, and the parts of Fortune. Then, I would say, okay, let's figure out the angles. Oh, look, here's an exact square between Mars and Saturn. Oops. How does that manifest? Oh, look, here's a perfect conjunction exactly on Mercury and Venus. What degree? And so on. Figure out the conjunctions, the squares, the trines, the sextiles, the semi-sextiles, semi-squares, biquintiles, quintiles quincunxes, etc. Oppositions and conjunctions. And go, wow, look at that. How about that? Where are the houses? Figure out the rising sign. Figure out the, the midheaven, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then I would start drawing out the chart. Drawing sun, moon, mercury, Venus, Mars, Neptune, Venus, Pluto, and Saturn. And then that's just to get the chart. Then you go, what does it mean? Hmm. That's the skill of the astrologer is figuring out what does it mean to say Mercury and Venus are conjunct in six degrees Taurus, square the sun. Mm. Okay, in the second house. What does that mean? You know, and you have to take all these variables, and come up with something that relates to people. Okay. So, I would do this for people and it took a long time to prepare one chart and then to to interpret the chart it takes a long time. Then have the person come and you sit down and you'd see if you could relate to them. Or if they understood you and if, if they had anything to, you know. And you'd then ask them to ask you a question. Do you have any questions? What would you like to know about? If they're Chinese, the first question is... Business. Should I go into business? Money. Can I open a store? Should I go into buying and selling? Importing, exporting? That's the first question. Second is love life. Love is second to money in the Chinese word. Should I open a business? Absolutely. And if the other way around if you're Western. If you're Western, the first question is,
0: when will I find my perfect mate? You
2: know. I know they're out there, you know, I just can't find them. The one I got is not perfect, you know. <laughs> oh. And the astrologer would rush in with some answer, you know, they're waiting for me to give the answer, it's like, big trouble, right? What do I know? So, that's the astrologer's thing, and I was doing this because I could, and it gave me an income. I was a graduate student, I needed money. So I did this for a living, you know. And you'd pay me $25 or $50, to, depending on what, you know. And um, that was what I did. And, of course, I was always looking at my horoscope, too, to see what was going on. Because um, I have to tell you, well, I, I worked at an astrological bookstore called the Magus, M-A-G-U-S, on College Avenue. The uh, It's gone, But it was there for years. And that was another way I made some money. But the people who I met as in the astrological community um, kind of slowed down my interest. Because a lot of the folks who came to astrology, first of all, if you didn't have the actual skills to create a chart, you didn't. You didn't take the field. You didn't count. The basics were you had to do the math. There is a certain amount of knowledge that you have to have before you can. And there was no, you didn't have the computerized chart first began when I stopped doing it. So everybody pretty much had the basics. And you couldn't cheat. If your calculations were off, forget it. You're not even going to make, you know, you, you can't, you have nothing to say. So everybody had to kind of get the basics of that. But what I discovered was what people did with the data varied hugely, hugely. Many people were drawn to astrology because it gave you power. And it did. People would come, I watched, I watched these astrologers, they would get the chart. Someone would come in to get a reading and they would take their chart and they would look at the person and they would go, oh! Like that. And of course, the poor person who's come to get their reading is like, what's wrong? You know. And I watched both sides of that relationship and discovered that we, by and large, are very undefended when it comes to knowledge that you don't have with your own six senses. Some people are absolutely skeptical. I don't believe any of that nonsense, what a lot of people think. If I don't see it, taste it, feel it, smell it, myself, it doesn't exist. In many ways, those people are better off than the ones who I saw who were being... Victimized by the people who wanted the power. I know things that you don't know. You want to know them? <laughs> right? I saw a lot of unscrupulous people using the disguise of wizard to have power over people. And then, depending on how gullible or undefended or vulnerable a person was, they would abuse that power to do stuff to get money, more money out of them to you know pien tai right cheating people for love and money they a a lot a lot, not a few, but a lot you know other people would use the knowledge of astrology to bolster up their feelings of Inadequacy. If you had that knowledge, then you knew something and you weren't a loser, you know, as much of a loser as you thought you might be, you were afraid you might be. So, a lot of folks took it, didn't matter that it was astrology, I'm sure palmistry, I'm sure in academia, there are lots of folks who use their knowledge to feel better about themselves and take advantage of you. So, Now, that was not entirely true. There were also some very profoundly sincere people looking at an ancient system of knowledge for more information. Those folks were there too. Um, I have to say, I think there were very few people who, I would say, used astrology for the Bodhi Resolve. That is to say, to, to wake up and to help others wake up. There certainly were some. But and those are the folks I gravitated to, but not so many. More people were interested in what that knowledge could get them in terms of power, feeling of importance, money, and advantages. So okay, so the world of the psychic world is full of charlatans, no surprise. The challenge for me was to look into my motives. What in the world was I looking for it for? And <clears throat> I took this knowledge. Uh, I had. I want to tell you a story that made a major c- took a major cut out of my faith in what I was doing. That there was anything to be learned. A young woman called me up. Said I would like you to do my horoscope. And I said, All right. This will. Divert me from writing my M.A. thesis, which I should be doing, but I'm looking for an excuse to scatter, so I'll happily do your hope try horoscope. Let me do it. That way I don't have to do my homework. Right? So I got her a date, wrote it down, did the chart, did all the stuff. She invited me. We met at a cafe in Sausalito and started the reading. And the deeper I went into her chart, she said, that's so interesting. That sounds just like me. That's really, well, would you tell me about this? Yes, yes. So we we I added an hour to the reading. So, you know, we did it for two hours. And that's, fa- that's so helpful. That's so interesting. Thank you so much. That's great. Oh, I never realized that somebody born on January 24th could be, you know, could have a, just, you could see so much from that circle. And I said, January 24th? I did all the calculations for December 24th. (laughs) The whole chart was totally off. She was ready to believe anything I told her. I described somebody totally different. And she said, That sounds just like me. I was off by a month. Oh no. You know, it's like, uh let's see, who's kidding whom? Right? Were you just saying that you because you wanted to believe that everything I said was right? Or were you fooling me? You know, and how could I tell you all this stuff and you thought it was just you know? Unless it's a very fuzzy system. That's possible too. So that was a huge hope. Uh oh. So Anyway, then then, uh, there was a guy, an interesting fellow, named Billy Bento. And I don't know where Billy is. And if anybody knows Billy Bento, if he's still around he might not be around. But Billy Bento was African American, astrologer. He was about five feet tall. He was just as short as they get. He had a He was kind of a mystery guy. Nobody quite knew about... He seemed to never have a home. He always lived with with people. He always kind of traveled around. He was a traveling guy. And people told me, they said, Well, if you want to get your horoscope done, go ask Billy. They said to me. Because Billy is on a... He's on a wavelength. They said, Billy's out there. This guy's out there. And there's a certain kind of person who he connects with that he can tell you Things nobody else can. There are other people who think he's just off the wall. So so I said, Well, I'm interested in that. So I said, Found Billy. He came in the bookstore. Billy, would you do my horoscope? And he said, "Uh, Sure. And I said, Here's, I'll pay you in advance. He said, Don't worry about that. I said, I'll pay you in advance. So I did. So Billy did the horoscope and he changed the date. I remember a couple times that the first reading got canceled, the second reading, I thought, Is he for real? You know, what's he doing? The third reading, we met in somebody's living room where he was staying. And Billy said, now, I want to apologize for missing the first two appointments. But he said, I wanted to be sure that what I was seeing here was really the case. And I asked people about you. And he said, I got to tell you, I hesitated to give you what I'm reading. Because some people would think this is just too far out. And I said, tell me, give me your best shot. I'm interested in what you see, not what you think I want to hear. He said, I, I'm hoping you'd say that. He said, because here it is. He said, you are going to be a monk <laughs> or something like a monk. And I, had, I hadn't met Master Shenhua. I hadn't even considered. He said, I'm looking here. He said, look at your Mars and Venus. He said, this is somebody who's going to make a soul sacrifice, he said. He said, you're not going to have any women in your life. <laughs> and I said, are you sure? You know, because I, I had a date that afternoon. You know. and, and he said, yeah, that's what it says here. He said, I, I can't believe it, but you're heading for a pure lifestyle. He said, I, can you, is that true? Am I seeing what I'm seeing? And I said, I don't know, but I, I do know that I've been invited to go over to this monastery in San Francisco, and I haven't gone yet. He says, "You should go. In fact, cancel your date and go today." He said. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, "Okay, that's a very interesting, you know." And and he said, "Not only, he said, look at your your Neptune. The Neptune, the 10th house, the way it is with the Mercury there, he said you're going to have a you're going to have a contribution to make." He said, uh in fact, he said, "If I meet you in 20 years, I want to know what you're saying then, because you're going to be saying things worth listening to, 20 years from now." I said, "Boy, I, I you know, I'm thinking of going to Canada to avoid the draft and being a folk singer." He said, "Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do that." He said, you're, "You should go to the monastery today." He said. So I'm going. Okay, Billy. <laughs> Sure enough, you know that Billy Bento was right on. And I, I would love to find him today and see if he's still around. Anyway, so that was one of Billy was one of Berkeley's astrologers, and so was I. So I get to Gold Mountain Monastery and uh, uh, take my vow of silence. And all through three steps, one bow, all through Sambui Bai. Of course, I didn't have my table of ephemeris. I, I didn't have my table of houses didn't have any wasn't doing charts but i had absorbed astrology this um janbu i had absorbed it so deeply that i could look at the sun and moon and know where things were and i knew my own chart well enough that when i saw okay well this is full moon day and we're in october that means that this is it's scorpio sun Horus moon, full moon, and look, that's Venus and its conjunct, the Sun, because they're right together. And I would calculate from reality, without the tables, knowing where things were. And I would occasionally write to Marty about astrology, the things I was watching. And he was totally unaware of astrology, and he would go, How can you know those things? And I would write, Never mind, you know. And he'd go, Huh, so. So I was still thinking in terms of astrology based on real-time observation because I knew it so well. Anyway, I got to a uh, city of 10,000 Buddhas and Master Shenhua uh, was lecturing on Xie Jian. And he got to the part of the text that said the Bodhisattva does not zhan Bu. Xing Bu, he doesn't practice divination or astrology. And Shurfu said, Now, he said, Look at Guo Jun here, meaning me. He said, He deeply believes in astrology. I kind of blink, you know. And he said, Now I myself, growing up in Manchuria, he said. I knew everything. He said, "I can do the I Jing. I have it all memorized. He said, "I don't look at the face, I look at the nature. Wubukkanxiang, Kan Shiing. He said, "I can look, I knew palmistry, I knew divination, I knew feng Shui, I'm the best," he said. And I don't do them." He said, "Those are all worldly Dharmas. He said, those are systems of knowledge that are worldly dharmas. I mastered them all and I don't use them. He said, 我都会,我不看. He said, He said, don't you think, and he's looking right at me, he said, don't you think when you are calculating one birth on one planet in one world, And you have the Dharma realm, limitless, boundless Dharma realm. Don't you think that's just too small? He said. The Dharma realm is infinite. (inaudible) Chong chong wu jin. Limitless and boundless. The principles of the Buddha Dharma carry every living being all the way to Buddhahood. And you are clinging to one birth on one planet in one world system, don't you think that's selling yourself too short? He said. He said that's like holding a matchup and comparing it to the sun. However, Guo does this, he said. Okay, maybe someday you'll really put it down, he said. I'm feeling about it. Maybe someday you'll really put it down. Okay, sure. And that was, notice, that was still kind. He was just telling me the way it is. He wasn't saying, don't do it. And he himself said, I know all those systems. I can do them all. I don't do them. I use the Buddha Dharma instead, he said. All right, to to finish the story, and we still have to get to Jason's question here. So I thought about that. That planted a seed, and I was really tired of... Looking at horoscope charts, when indeed every time I touched the Avatamsaka Sutra, it felt like I was on a mountaintop in still air that was pure and came from infinite space. That was the way I felt on that mountaintop. Touching the Avatamsaka Sutra. Every time it felt like that. There was a special air, something special. As soon as you open the text and touch it. And every time I went into astrology, it felt like going into a closet and putting a hood over my, you know, like smaller and smaller. So I got to Gold Mountain Monastery, to uh, ITI. It's now in 1990. And I said one day, I said, Shervu, I'm through with astrology. I want to give you all my texts and tables and books of houses and and I'll give them all to you, Shervu. I'm through with it. Sherif looked at me and said, "I have a better idea." He said, "Why don't you just keep them and don't use them?" Okay, pretty smart man, right? <laughs> right. If I give them to him, he's got them. I can't do them because Sherif's got my books. It's still external. If I hang on to them and don't use them, then it's my decision, right? So I thought, okay, sure. So I put them on the shelf and I started my doctoral studies and I really was busy and I honestly didn't touch them. Two years passed. One day, Sherfu calls down. I'm downstairs. Go John. those astrology books. Sherfu, have you looked at them? No, I haven't, Sherfu. Give them to me. (laughs) He said. So I took them all and gave them to me. He said, how many lifetimes have you had that around your neck? I don't know, Sherpa. Okay. Only because I hadn't touched them for two years would he take them away from me. If I gave them to him and thought I was, you know, so I actually had forgotten where they were and I dug them out and gave them to him. Okay, one more year passes. And uh, there's some guests from Taiwan. Some politician is there. Hao Bochun is there, somebody. Right? And uh, so I'm there, you know, kind of nervously watching the desk while Shirfu ushers in Hao Bochun. And uh, Shirfu is talking to him. He says, Oh, here's my disciple, Guo Jun." He said, He'll do your horoscope for you. <laughs> he said, It'll cost you $60,000. Guo Jun, will you do it? And I said, "Sureful, I don't do horoscopes." He said, "Oh, all right, not just one." He said, "Forget it." But I would—he had me doing Haboatran's horoscope for sixty thousand dollars. If I were uh, <laughs> bit the hook, that no, sure boy, I don't do it. Oh, so on. the test. So that's deep attachment, right? Now, was I born in a xie jian jia? Um, I don't think so. Is my mind chan strongly? That's why my name is zhen shi. That second retribution, qi xin chan is exactly why after six years of silence, I saw how I'm, my mind is permanently bent. Not permanently, it's by nature my mind moves and I say words depending on their effect. That's exactly what that's talking about. ji chan And somehow that ability to tell you something that you might want to know based on what I see, oh my, what a temptation. To be able to do that purely without any personal benefit for myself very difficult. So it's important that I don't do astrology and it's important that I tell the truth because here is principles that 100 million living beings can look in and get a true reflection. Astrology is based on that date, that time, that place, that planet. Can I explain it Did I get the date right? And your understanding of all consciousness and the ability to get it, Wan Wan Ju Ju is very strong. So if we who want to know the future, who want to check, do you buy your stocks according to the stockbroker who has Shuntong? In Taiwan you do. Stockbrokers in Taiwan advertise they have Shuntong and they'll help you buy your portfolio. Burst out Right? Realist, realtors, realtors advertise they have shantung in Taiwan. Taiwan is thick with shantung people. Psychic power. shantung is psychic power. People tell you they've got it and then you go give them the money, not the honest one who's in the corner saying, no, I'm basically, you know, uh, I take my lumps in the stock market like everybody else. You're not going to give him your money. You want the shantung guy. He's going to give you the right, you know. Boy, be really careful. Because all those variables give you the crooked answer. Buddha Dharma gives you a true mirror that shows you my actual face every time I look. 10,000 people look, 10,000 people get the proper straight reflection. What is it? It's if you have Xie Jian, crooked views. For example, the number one profound crooked view is... Not believing in cause and effect. That's always the number one xie jian. that always pops up, which is what? Thinking that this action will not produce a result. Why? Well, I have Guanxi or so-and- so. I can get away with it. Or they didn't see me do it, so I'm clean. Right? Or it doesn't matter if I kill, or steal or lust. Doesn't matter, get away with it. That's called disbelief in cause and effect. That's always considered the number one wrong view. Because why? Cause and effect is the basic engine of the universe. It's really true. Good deeds bring good results. Bad deeds bring bad results. Short term we think cheating on taxes is gonna get us ahead. Long run it doesn't. Right? So, you all can fill in the details. Okay, second part of it. Chan-chu. Chan right? Jason, ask your question one more time. What's the difference between... What's the difference between kind words and flattery? Intent. And you, the only you know. What your intent was um, when the question was asked? What two or two or three weeks ago? Um, we talked about advice that I got. Um, flattery, Sherfu sure, used to say. Master Shenhua would say um, that. People who tell you your short points are your true friends, even though it's hard to swallow. People who tell you your good points, be very careful, even if they mean it well. He, he talked a lot about avoiding people who butter you up. That's the phrase in English, to butter somebody up, to spread butter on them, on your face. You butter somebody up, even though you might have the best intentions, you don't know how people are hearing that. Some people are really vulnerable to praise and flattery. And you might mean it well, but when they hear it, they get their ego gets swelled and their self is stronger, is more strongly in place, which is actual harm to people. So uh, he would say, First of all, don't talk about people's shortcomings. Don't gossip behind their back or to their face. And don't say nice things about them either because you can't control how they're hearing it. It's better to, if their good points don't have to be praised, if they have these qualities and skills, they have them. You're telling them doesn't make it any better. All right? Right? I, I know I'm walking on thin ice here, right? A lot of questions coming up. But if you praise somebody with evil intent, you are truly harming them. Okay? Now, when is it okay to say nice things about people? Um, You yourself know. For example, if somebody has really low self-esteem and you say something pleasant about the way they look, or if they really did something well, and you say "good job" or "we appreciate your comment," or that's, sometimes that's good medicine. That's healing medicine if people really need to hear it. When you're a teacher, if you're sitting and if you're teaching in front of a class, then skillful use of praise really can help you get the message home, get the lesson home. If you're doing it because you know the person loves flattery and you're going to get on their good side? That would be what happens is you, when, when the crisis comes, they'll see you as a false friend and you'll lose them. Right? If push comes to shove. Now, there's, we have all, there's a, once you dig into this, there's this whole world of words like sycophant, toady, He's, there's, there's the big boss with his toadies, you know. The, you hear, uh, what is it, Yes Man? Yes, yes, JB, that's very good. Thank you, JB. Excellent, JB, that's really good. And there are some people who love to have a whole raft of toadies around them, sycophants who are sucking up to that person, saying false praise in order to stay with the powerful person. They have no power. They give it to the powerful person, but they stand in his light. You know, so that's this whole world of flattery and praise that is clearly a negotiation. It's a business deal. I'll praise you if you let me suck up and stand beside you because I don't have any confidence or power of my own. So I'll be your toady, and you'll let me, you know, play the game with you. So that's pretty clearly uh, a business deal. It's not true relationships. Master Shren Hua spent a lot of time talking about not flattering, not talking about goods or evils of people, especially not behind their back. Then he would say, good medicine is bitter to the taste, but you recover, you get better from it. Real good medicine, good medicine, bitter, but you get better. It makes you better. You recover from your sickness. Shan li Good words offend the ear, but they help you cultivate. Er li Shan yan ni er er li yu xing. Good words offend the ear. They sound really harsh. Ooh, but they help you cultivate because they're there to help you. So, Master Hua, would, he would take this into an interesting realm. Because he was an extraordinary cultivator and had accomplished many things, people were jealous of Master Xuen Hua. And people slandered him a lot. People would say really harsh, nasty things about our teacher. And we would hear him. And shirpher would say, If you are my disciple... And you hear somebody slander me, what are you going to do? And the newcomers would say, We'll punch them out, Sheriff. You can't say that about my teacher, that's my teacher. Sheriff would say, Absolutely wrong. As soon as you punch somebody, in my defense, you are no longer my disciple, he would say. If somebody scolds your teacher and you hear them, bow to them bow to them and thank them for helping me cultivate. And then he would say, yao He would give that proverb. And he would say, I'm not just saying that, I mean it. People who slander me want me to improve. Why else would they worry about me enough to say bad things about me? I bow to them sincerely. Thank you for hoping I get better. He said, compare that to somebody who comes up and gives me false plattery, false praise. What use is that? If I'm good at something, I already know it. I don't, I don't need your praise. Why are you praising me? What do you want me to do? You want me to fall? Uh-huh. Okay, mostly praise wants people to fall. He would say, if somebody scolds your teacher, bow to them and say, thank you for helping my teacher improve. So you go whoa, who says that? That's so far out, you know. So that take on flattery is really radically 180 degrees different. Kind words, not always helpful. Harsh words, sometimes helpful. Now the secret is, somebody's going to go from this lecture and go find somebody and say something really mean to them, right? The Dharma master said, we shouldn't say night, we should say things that help you and you need help. (laughs) I get the blame, right? So be careful when you do that you have to really have virtue before you can say critical things that people will accept if you say get in somebody's face and give them critic criticism they won't be happy they won't accept it so probably better in the midst of all this to 回光 check your own behavior check your motive okay so when i finish the lecture i say shi dao zi jin fei dao zi if it's the Tao advance, if it's not the Tao retreat, Guy, Pick out what is useful and good in the things that I said and follow with it. Pick out the useless, unhelpful things that I say and change them in yourself. Okay? Guy, the unwholesome things, change them in yourself. So in every case, Master Shenhua's advice was to check out yourself watch your mind why am i praising that person why am i criticizing that person the bigger question is why am i paying so much why am i paying so much attention to that person instead of looking at myself checking your own mind is a full time job that's the lesson right so if you can do that then occasionally you can say something nice or harsh and people will accept it because they know your motive but if I still have a big self and desires, and I'm out there checking out everybody else, bad or good, nobody's going to want to hear it. So the the, the moral, the, the directive of that is always first reflect. And if I'm really in the right place, sometimes the things I say will help people. Not always. Not always. Okay? So, yeah, flattery is... Very tricky. By golly, we have finished all ten evils. And I gave you the lowdown of astrology tonight. You sometimes... Now, having said that, Shurfu, and if you look at Shurfu's biography, in um, his first volume of his life in Manchuria, Shurfu got a uh, fortune-telling that said that at a certain, by a certain date, his name would be known for hundreds and hundreds of miles as a young monk. Uh, so there are instances where Shifu got fortunes told. Now the question is, did he go ask the fortune teller or did the fortune teller volunteer? Don't know, don't know. But the world is full of Shijianfa, worldly knowledge. The Book of Changes, I Ching, Zhou Yi, remember we talked about doing that on Richard Nixon and Watergate at the Aspen Institute? That's worldly knowledge and it tells you amazing things. I look at the Book of Changes, the Zhou Yi, the I Ching, like an uncle who's got a lot of wisdom. There's good advice there. What do you do with it is the question. Can is fortune telling all false? I did not say that tonight. I'm saying that In my experience, many of the people who were putting themselves forward as fortune tellers, I don't necessarily want to have them tell my fortune, because I know there's going to be a large part of self and benefit mixed up in it. However, I met Billy Bento, who was an astounding fellow who told me things he had no way of knowing if he weren't really tuned in to something. So... Use your wisdom. When you're out there getting your fortune told, no matter what it is, looking for shantong, psychic power, real estate, and stockbrokers, use your wisdom. Be really careful. Because many, many of those folks will have mixed motives. Is there benefit? Maybe. Maybe so. But the Buddha Dharma, this incredible mirror of the Avatamsaka Sutra, is accurate and universally true for every living being. Never cheats you. All right. Certainly after... The events of Friday in Japan we all know some part of Transfer Merit uh, it's certainly not the only place that's hurting the events in the Middle East have gotten very very complicated um, we have dodged the bullet here in the Bay Area for earthquakes for a very long time um, certainly the transference that you can make has a lot of uh, places that it could be used. So please do transfer the merit as you choose. Hmm. a second here Thank you Cherry trees bloom so bright in the April breeze, like a mist of floating cloud. Fragrance fills the air around, shadows flit along the ground. Come, come see the cherry trees.